0: chapter twenty one of carpenter's geographical reader asia by frank carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty v industrial china we're surprised at the industry going on among the chinese they start work at sunrise and often continue their labor until long after dark their cities are beehives of industry in some sections every little house is a factory in which most of the work is performed by hand labor they weave cotton and matting make fans and umbrellas and also paper furniture and earthenware of all kinds thousands of blacksmiths are pounding out tools upon anvils and other thousands are engaged in woodworking of various kinds every town has some streets in which they make nothing but coffins and others where they are manufacturing brassware and copper utensils including funeral urns china has a population three or four times as great as our own and it produces almost everything it consumes the country has long been one of house industries that is a land in which most things are made in little shops or the houses within recent years however modern machinery has come in and we now find factories going up in all the chief centers at hong yang adjoining hankau on the yangtze about seven hundred miles from the coast are iron and steel works that would be considered extensive in any part of the world more than twenty thousand men are employed in the smelting furnaces and rolling mills there and they are manufacturing steel of all kinds for the new chinese railways china has great beds of coal iron and limestone and it can produce steel almost as cheaply as we can its mineral deposits are about the richest on earth and it will some day have a large export of machinery modern mills for spinning and weaving cotton have been established at shanghai canton wuchang and other popular places and more than a million spindles are whizzing around making yarns the common people dress almost entirely in cotton consuming so much every year that it has been estimated that if it were all in one piece It could carpet a roadway more than 20 miles wide, reaching from New York to Chicago. Moreover, the Chinese use cotton for wadding their garments, and all their winter clothing is padded and quilted. The heating arrangements are poor, and they put on suit upon suit as the weather grows colder. This necessitates a vast deal of cotton, most of which is raised at home, although some is imported from America and India. During our stay in Shanghai, we visit the mills. They are large brick structures on the banks of the Wampoa River, not far from where it flows into the Yangtze. The machinery is as modern as in our own factories, and the scenes are the same, save that the workmen are yellow. Much of the labor is done by women and children, and we see boys and girls who toil all day long for less than one cent an hour. We find more children at work in the silk mills, they tend the machines which reel the fine threads from the cocoons and spin them into raw silk shipped to America. There are many large silk filatures, as such mills are called, and also modern factories, where the thread is woven into cloth. The Chinese were the first to weave silk, and China has always been one of the chief silk-making nations. Until recently, their weaving was done on the rudest of looms, and many such are still in use in all the silk districts at nanking we visit the works which were established to make silks and satins for the emperor the threads were twisted by hand and were woven together on wooden looms operated by the hand and the foot ribbons are still made in the same way on small looms by women and girls of the silk districts who work at home often spinning and reeling out of doors but where does the silk thread come from it is made by the silkworms which spin it for the cocoons in which they are changed into moths rearing the little worms and properly feeding them to get the cocoons is one of the important industries of china it is so highly thought of that the empress herself had a silkworm nursery where upon certain days she fed the worms as an example to the other women of china we can learn all about such things by visiting the silk districts along the yangtze river We shall find that rearing these little creatures is by no means an easy task. The worms come from the eggs of the silk moth, which are laid on coarse sheets of white paper. A single moth often lays five hundred eggs, and the paper must be prepared for it and left in just the right place. The eggs are of about the size of a mustard seed and are of a pale ash color. As soon as they are laid, they are put in a cool chamber until the time comes for hatching they are then brought into a warm room and placed upon mats on shelves of bamboo the temperature of the room must be just right and this is tested not by a thermometer but by a man who strips off his clothes and comes in naked by the feeling of the air upon his skin he can tell whether the room is cold or damp and if so he heats it with stoves within a few days the eggs hatch each producing a little black worm as fine as a hair, this baby worm must be fed and like most babies it starts life very hungry for the first few days it has a meal every half hour and this consists of green mulberry leaves cut into small pieces as the worms grow older they are fed once an hour and when they are about full grown they need only three or four meals a day the silkworm reaches its growth at thirty-two days after hatching in which time it takes a sleep every four or five days it is at the twenty-second day that it begins its last or great sleep where it raises the four parts of its body and continues to rest in that position during each sleep it casts off its skin sleeping on until a new and larger skin is matured when full-grown the creature is about two inches long and as large around as a man's little finger its color is amber it is now ready for the work for which it was made it takes no more food and begins to spin the fine silk thread from its mouth fastening the thread to a frame upon which it has been placed as it spins it moves its head from one side to the other continuing this motion until its whole body has been enveloped in a tightly wrapped silk shell or cocoon the spinning requires from two to five days and when it has finished its little silk house, the worm again falls to sleep. It is now carried with its sister worms in their cocoons to a slow fire of charcoal or wood, and placed so near it that it dies by the heat. After this, the cocoons are put into water. This loosens the fiber, and the women and girls unwind the silk by means of rude machines worked by the foot and hand or by the machine reels of the mills in both processes several of the fine threads are twisted together until they form one thread large enough for weaving much of the silk is reeled into such thread for export but a great deal more is spun and woven at home into the caps coats gowns trousers and other clothing used by the chinese there is one industry for which the chinese have always been famous this is the manufacture of porcelain indeed the word china which is commonly used for all porcelains, comes from the fact that such ware was long ago shipped from China to Europe. The Chinese histories say that their people were making porcelain 1,700 years before Christ, and Marco Polo relates that he saw it manufactured in China, 1280 A.D., and that it was then shipped all over the world. All porcelain is made of a fine white clay known as kaolin, Which is found in many places. China contains great beds of it and that of such a quality that it makes beautiful ware. The clay is dug out with pickaxes and carried on the backs of men to the mills where the stones and sand are washed out. The pure clay is then ground fine and worked over by men or buffaloes who tramp about through it mixing it thoroughly. It is then ready for the potter who molds it into cups plates, saucers, and other vessels, using the potter's wheel to aid him. After the vessels are shaped, they are dried in the sun and then fired or baked in ovens, which use wood as fuel. The fire is moderate at first, but it is gradually increased until the whole interior of the oven turns to white heat. This heat is kept up for three days, by which time the china should be thoroughly baked. The fire is then allowed to go out, but the oven is not opened until twenty-four hours later, for the china must cool slowly, and the cold air rushing in may cause it to crack. As soon as the china has cooled, it is handed over to the painters. Often a dozen men will work on one piece before it is finished. One artist will sketch the design, and others may fill in the trees, flowers, butterflies, birds, or human figures of which it is made. After this, the ware must again be fired to fix the colours. This is done in circular ovens heated by charcoal End of chapter twenty one